Hello, this is Father John Arthur Orr, Associate Pastor at Holy Ghost Catholic Church, Knoxville, Tennessee. Today we continue our study of the Theology of the Body of Pope John Paul II. It's a collection of general audience presentations he gave during the first years of his pontificate, the years 1979 through 1984, Solitude and Subjectivity. In the last conversation, we began to analyze the meaning of man's original solitude. The starting point was given to us by the Yahwist text, and in particular, in the following words. It is not good that man should be alone. I want to make him a help, similar to himself. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The analysis of the pertinent passages of Genesis, see Genesis chapter 2, has brought us to a surprising conclusions with regard to anthropology, that is, the fundamental science about man contained in this book. In fact, in relatively few sentences, the ancient text sketches man as a person with the subjectivity characterizing the person. When God, Yahweh, gives to the first man formed in this way the commandment concerning all the trees that grow in the garden in Eden, above all the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, this adds the aspect of choice and self-determination, that is, of free will, to the outline of man described above. In this way, man's image as a person, endowed with his own subjectivity, appears before us as finished in its first sketch. The concept of original solitude includes both self-consciousness and self-determination. The fact that man is alone contains within itself this ontological structure, and at the same time, it indicates authentic understanding. Without this, we cannot correctly understand the next words which constitute the prelude to the creation of the first woman. I want to make a help. Above all, however, without that deep meaning of man's original solitude, one cannot understand and correctly interpret the whole situation of man created in the image of God, which is the situation of the first, in fact, primeval covenant with God. This man, about whom the account of the first chapter says that he has been created in the image of God, is manifested in the second account as a subject of the covenant, that is, a subject constituted as a person, constituted according to the measure of a partner of the absolute, inasmuch as he must consciously discern and choose between good and evil, between life and death. The words of the first command of God, Yahweh, Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, which speak directly about the submission and dependence of man-creature on his creator, 
indirectly reveal precisely this level of humanity as subject of the covenant and partner of the absolute. Man is alone. This is to say that through his own humanity, through what he is, he is at the same time set into a unique, exclusive, and unrepeatable relationship with God himself. The anthropological definition contained in the Yahwist text in its own way approaches the theological definition of man that we find in the first creation account. Let us make man in our image and our likeness. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. Solitude and the meaning of the body. Man formed in this way belongs to the visible world. He is a body among bodies, taking up again and in some way reconstructing the meaning of original solitude. We apply it to man in his totality. The body by which man shares in the visible created world makes him at the same time aware of being alone. Otherwise, he would not have been able to arrive at this conviction, which in fact he reached, as we read in Genesis chapter 2 verse 20, if his body had not helped him to understand it, making the matter evident to him. The awareness of solitude could have been shattered precisely because of the body itself. Basing himself on the experience of his own body, the man, Adam, could have reached the conclusion that he is substantially similar to the other living beings, Anamalia. By contrast, as we read, he did not arrive at this conclusion, but in fact reached the conviction that he was alone. The Yahwist text never speaks directly about the body, even when it says the Lord God formed man with dust of the ground. It speaks about man and not the body. Nevertheless, the account, taken as a whole, offers us sufficient basis to perceive this man created in the visible world precisely as body among bodies. The analysis of the Yahwist text will allow us further to link man's original solitude with the awareness of the body through which man distinguishes himself from all the animalia and separates himself from them and through which he is a person. One can affirm with certainty that man thus formed has at the same time the awareness and consciousness of the meaning of his own body. Moreover, he has this based on the experience of original solitude. All of this can be considered an implication of the second account of the creation of man, and the analysis of the text allows us to develop it amply. When at the beginning of the Yahwist text, even before it speaks about the creation of man from the dust of the ground, we read, No one tilled the ground and made the water of the channels rise from the earth to irrigate the whole soil. Genesis chapter 2 verse 5. 
we rightly associate this passage with the one from the first account in which the divine commandment is expressed, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule, Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The second account alludes in an explicit way to the work man does to cultivate the earth. One finds the first fundamental means for ruling the earth in man himself. Man can rule the earth because only he and none of the other living beings is able to cultivate and transform it according to his own needs. He made the water of the channels rise from the earth to irrigate the soil. This first sketch of a specifically human activity seems to be part of man's definition as it emerges from the analysis of the Yahwist text. As a result, one can affirm that this sketch is intrinsic to the meaning of original solitude and belongs to that dimension of solitude through which man has, from the beginning, been in the visible world as a body among bodies and discovers the meaning of his own bodiliness. We will return to this subject in the next meditation. And with those words, Pope John Paul II ended his sixth presentation in his series, Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. Having heard from our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, of happy memory, now we should go back and see if we can appreciate even more some of these deep teachings from male and female, he created them in theology of the body, Christ appealing to the beginning, the meaning of original solitude, solitude and subjectivity. Four times our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, spoke of analysis. This is not unreflected speech. He thought deeply about these things, and he asks us to join him, to think deeply with him, even if he no longer walks the face of the earth, to analyze, to examine, to study, to ponder not only the sacred text, he starts off actually with Genesis, but even our experiences. He wants us to think about original solitude. What does it mean that man was created in the beginning? That even though accompanied by so many other creatures, he recognized that none was a suitable partner, a suitable help, a suitable companion. With the aid of the sacred text, we see the creation of woman, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, a suitable help companion. What does this all mean? What are the repercussions for our lives? We're reminded of holy marriage. We're reminded of that divine union between God and his people of old Israel and Mother Church, the new Israel, that new people of God, Bride of Christ, Mother Church. Not only does our Holy Father have us ponder about analyzation to study and to study meaning, to study original solitude, he also would have us never forget that we belong as human beings to the visible world. We are not just our souls, we also have our bodies. We are body-soul composites. This is very important. We are body 
among bodies, my body and the bodies of other human beings, our bodies and the bodies of the other beings on the earth, the animals, the birds, the fish, the mountains. We are a body amongst bodies. And God assumed a body, became like us in all things but sin in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, Son of Mary. We have been made partners of the absolute. This word, absolute, our Holy Father uses in a very philosophical approach is a reference to God, another way to say God, the absolute being, the source of all being, the one to whom we tend and from whence we came. We are partners of the absolute in our being, but also in covenant, in and through the sacred contract between heaven and earth, between God and us, begun with Moses, with Abraham, but in the fullness of time, in Christ Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law to save us all from the wages of sin and death. Yes, Christ reveals not only God to us, but us to ourselves. And when we read sacred scripture from the first lines of Genesis, the first book, to the last lines of Revelation, we see God's plan for our lives. Pope John Paul II, our late Holy Father, reminds us that as persons, individual substance of a rational nature, we have a subjectivity. We are subjects, not just objects. And our personal subjectivity is what characterizes us as persons. I am the subject of my acts. I am the subject of your study of my acts. I do my acts for myself. Subjectivity. It's not just objectivity. It's not just subjectivity. Anthropological studies, Pope John Paul II reminds us, give us the fundamental understanding, the fundamental science about our very being, what it means to be a human being, a man, anthropos, man. Anthropology is the study of man. In other writings, Karl Wojtyla stressed the book I, Man as being one of the finest anthropological texts he had ever experienced. It's very rare, but it does exist in English translation. What our Holy Father, Pope John Paul II, is doing in his Male and Female Theology of the Body, he's doing a theological, philosophical anthropology, and he reminds us that it is our self-consciousness and our self-determination that helps us to understand not only the original solitude of our very being, but who we are as human beings, as individual men and women in the world. Self-consciousness, we see it in the children when they discover that their toes are connected to their feet, which are connected to their legs, which is a part of themselves so early not necessarily expressed, although we will hear cries of joy and gladness on part of the children. Tickle their toes. You'll see it happen. Self-determination, likewise. The will to live. There was a movie some time ago, The Mission, and we saw Robert De Niro's character with a great determination to scale a mountain, even with a huge net of wares strapped to himself in a self-imposed penance for his sins. So determined was he to make amends for wrong he had done. 
although first he submitted himself to the keys, which Christ the Lord entrusted to Peter, the first pope. Now we hear from Pope Benedict XVI's beloved predecessor, John Paul II, about self-determination and self-consciousness, which help us to understand about ourselves what it means to be human beings. We seek the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil ourselves, even in our day. We want to know what good we should do and what evil we should avoid. When Pope John Paul II reminds us of that tree, he does not yet remind us that it is finding its perfection in the cross of Christ Jesus, where good and evil are separated ultimately, where knowledge of God and of ourselves is given, and whose fruit is the Holy Eucharist, the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. This is the real fruit, the real bread which came down from heaven. He who eats of this and drinks of this will have true life within them and will never die, the death which is eternal, which is hell. That we can know, this is a part, a major part of how we are in the image of God, that we are able to choose to do good, to choose to repent the evil we have done, that we are self-determined and self-aware. This is part of who we are as human beings, as bodies among bodies, part of the visible world, partners of the absolute. This is part of Pope John Paul II's analysis of the meaning of original solitude, of Christ's appeal to the beginning, how God made us, for what God made us. Our ability to choose, our ability to be self-determined echoes in the phrase free will. No one forces us to tune in to 1490 AM Knoxville's Witness Radio. No one has forced me to make these recordings. Freely we tune in. Freely I record. Freely we embrace the gospel and turn away from sin and Satan. Freely we do the good we should. When we sin, we abuse our free will, and we prefer the creature to the creator and his holy will. All of this a part of the very makeup of our being. Pope John Paul II uses very scholarly vocabulary. He speaks of the ontological structure, our very makeup. Sometimes ontology is called metaphysics, the science of being. In his encyclical from 1998 on the relationship between faith and reason, Fides et Ratio, Pope John Paul II reminds us that our study of philosophy needs to have a metaphysical dimension, needs to go the distance even to study being, ontology. There are those in our day who have rejected this science, preferring only empiricism, what can be touched and tasted and weighed, measured. And we do these things. You can measure your body. You are so tall. You weigh so many pounds or kilos. You wear a size shirt. These are empirical measurements. But hopefully we're more than just our measurements. 
if we do not limit our understanding to what is material, physical, we may have a deeper understanding, an authentic understanding of the deep meaning of what it means to be a human being, made in the image of God, as the sacred scripture reminds us. Some people, however, are satisfied with a shallow meaning, without any depth. But when you compare a painting which has depth perception to those of stick figures, you appreciate the difference. These things we're able to understand. Pope John Paul II is proposing that we cannot correctly understand or interpret the human being, the human person, without an appreciation of original solitude. He says at the same time, this is a part of the law or the principle of non-contradiction. Something cannot both be and not be in the same sense at the same time of the same subject. At the same time, a human being is self-conscious and self-determined. At the same time, a body amongst bodies. At the same time, visible and yet not just his body. We are said to be in the image of God. We are said to be subjects of the covenant. I am in covenant with God. If you are believing unto Christ, if you have been baptized, washed and saved, if you have been circumcised and are part of the Jewish people, you are subject to the covenant. In this way, we are able to discern, is this of God or not? Am I acting in accordance with the covenant I have entered into or not? We are at once both alone and in relationship with God, and each of us in our relationship with God, it is unique. The Lord and you, the Lord and her, the Lord and him, the Lord and myself, even if we are all human beings, even if we all have in common the same human nature, each one of us is unique, and thereby our relationship with the Lord God is unique. Even if Jesus Christ assures us in the gospel that he alone is the way, the truth, and the life, this relationship we have, each of us, between ourselves and God, is exclusive. We forsake all other gods. We are made in the image of the true God, the one only God, not in the image of Baal, not in the image of the father of lies, but in the image of God, and each of us unrepeatable, never to be done over, made again. There's only one of you, and what a piece of work, a masterpiece of God, not only in your being created, but in your being redeemed. This, too, part of the work of God, the work of salvation, which we do with fear and trembling in the communion of the church. Pope John Paul II, who had studied philology, that is, the science of words, he points out to us that the anthropological definition and the theological definition of man come together when we see man belonging to the visible world through his body, Man, whole and entire, body and soul, created by God. And for the rest of us, after our first parents, it is our parents who give the matter, the body, 
But God gives the soul even still. Without the body, John Paul II reminds us, there is no understanding. While he doesn't hear cite St. Thomas Aquinas, there is a Thomistic axiom saying that nothing is in the intellect which is not first passed through the senses. And the senses, to taste, to touch, to smell, to feel, to hear, these things, these senses, feed our understanding about ourselves and about the world. This is how human beings come to know. Nothing is in the intellect, in the understanding, which is not first passed through the senses. And Pope John Paul II, he synthesizes this when he writes, when he teaches in his male and female, he created them, the theology of the body, that there is no understanding without the body. I am not just my body, but I do not know without my body. I hear your voice, I see your eyes, I may smell cologne or perfume. No understanding without the body. The body is part of the good creation. We are not Gnostics. We are not making a dualistic opposition between the body and the soul. There have been people, heretics, who would reject the goodness of body, the goodness of matter, As followers of Jesus Christ, we are not that way. We believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. Amen. What is sown is a corruptible body, but what shall rise is a glorious body. What the Lord holds out for us. Remarkable indeed. Pope John Paul II reminds us that in our bodies we are similar to the other living beings, yet we are also different from the other living beings. The animalia the cats and the dogs, the horses, the cattle, the fish, the birds. We are corporeal as are they. We have our bodies, so much matter. But yet, there is that difference. This is a difference which certain segments of society in our day and throughout history reject. But Pope John Paul II did not see it that way, not only because of the supernatural and divine revelation, which he believed, and he cites here repeatedly the book of Genesis from the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, but even from his natural ability to understand, to examine his own personal experience as a being in the world, a visible being, as a person able to know, endowed with free will, able to study or to not, to think or not, to sing or not, to speak or not, to listen or not. The animals don't have such free will. They do not have such self-determination or self-consciousness for that matter, so far as we can tell. Not manifested itself. We can read the works of Shakespeare, even though there are centuries gone by now. Dostoevsky. We can read the writings of philosophers and theologians, historians throughout the ages. What works have the chimps done? This is not to degrade the beast of the field, but to remind us that there is a difference. We forget this to our peril. We are persons through our body, but we are not limited to our bodies. When we received our first assignment from God to till the earth and subdue it, our first work, It is important for us to remind ourselves, or to be reminded, that as we begin Lent each year with words from Scripture, remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. When we rule the earth, 
we rule ourselves, for we are of the earth, made of the earth, at least inasmuch as our bodies are material. We are bodies among bodies, but not just the matter. In our next program, we'll continue our walk through Pope John Paul II's Man and Woman, He Created Them, A Theology of the Body. We'll go over the alternative between death and immortality, which is part of the original solitude, the meaning of the original solitude, because Christ appealed to the beginning as it was when we were made. Until next time, be assured of my prayers, and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.